So, uh, by the way, I my house is overrun with cats. My partner and I, we're crazy cat ladies. So you might hear some cats. Also, they've been doing some uh, construction work next door. And it isn't too bad. Like, it isn't, it isn't awful. And they've actually kind of quieted down. But if you hear that, that, that's what that is. So I'm sorry about that. We can encourage, if people listen to it, they can encourage, they can be encouraged to uh, support my Patreon so I can get like a real studio. <laughs> so they don't, so they don't have to listen to, uh, <laughs> to construction work and cats in the background. <laughs> Welcome to the Arab Grievances. My name is Kayla Burrow. Today I have an amazing interview for you guys. I know I'm always saying that. I know I'm always hyping it up, but I honestly, genuinely loved this conversation. I want to be best friends with this guy. I want to keep in communication with him, and I just love the way his brain works. We have so much overlap, and at the same time, he thinks outside of the box, I think even further than I do. Which may be a little pretentious, but I, I think maybe saying a lot. He is the host of the Sacred Tension podcast. You can go to his website at sbradfordlong.com. S B R A D F O R D L O N G dot com. And check out his podcast. He's an amazing person. He's such a outside of the box thinker he thinks for himself and he's not afraid to put his thoughts on the table he is without fear and i love this guy i want to be best friends with this guy steven hit me up let's be best friends forever and ever i think you're gonna really enjoy this interview I'm going to go ahead and preface it, uh, give a little uh, a little bit of a teaser, that Stephen identifies as an esoteric Christian, satanic temple member, and yoga instructor, and he has an interest in Buddhism and um, tarot and the practices of the East. And so he's a very diverse person. And I just, I love this guy. I love this conversation. We had so much fun. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. Let's do this. Yeah, same. And now I quit vaping, so. Okay. Uh, But I still love vaping. Yeah, it was. It, it was actually harder for me to quit the cigarettes than to quit the vape. Okay, okay. Though, the, quitting the, the cigarettes was a, a lot harder. Yeah. So, should we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Have we gotten into it? I guess we have. Um. So, you, dude, of course, gotta open up. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining me. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, I'm just gonna sneak attack you right now. Yeah, for sure. So... I mean, let's start at the beginning. What was your upbringing like? What was your atmosphere, you know, uh, familially and culturally? Yeah. So I am this very weird mix 
of of theological and cultural influences and i didn't realize really how weird it was until i uh i became an adult until my mid-20s yes yes and uh so i was raised presbyterian charismatic okay here in appalachia i'm in the Asheville area um in the heart of the bible belt here and i'm from kentucky so oh awesome so you get it yeah Yeah. Uh, and so i was raised in this very weird mix of pro-egalitarian uh so lots of women ministers in a presbyterian setting so lots of reformed Mm. calvinistic influences and theology plus Mm. charismaticism and so lots of speaking in tongues lots of casting out of demons lots of prophecy yes lots of you know did they say i prophesy exactly yeah you know lots of like upbeat worship music and and so it was this very bizarre mix of theological and and cultural influences both my parents are ministers uh, really both of my yes both of my sisters are or have been in ministry and i am the fabulously gay black sheep did you ever walk away from christianity during that time at all uh yes yes and no i i feel like christianity and i we've been like uh you know that really unhealthy relationship that you that we all know in high school or in college it's like those two people who just keep fighting and breaking up and then getting back together again over and over and over over like the course of years that is me with my faith that is me with christianity uh you know we keep breaking up and then we keep somehow reconciling we keep somehow getting back together you know now i feel like we're kind of at a at a you know friend you know um a polyamorous kind of relationship right now where it's like i can (laughs) have i can be christian inclusive exactly it's like i'm going to be christian as long as i can also be buddhist and a member of the satanic temple and a yoga teacher you know and (laughs) so but i would say that the heart of my faith is still Uh uh the heart of my existence the heart you know the my mother tongue is still christianity and the person of christ and i don't and i don't think that that will ever leave i don't think that that will ever change for me dude you just quoted my life right now (laughs) in much better terms than i could well seriously that that's exactly how i feel about it it's like i want to be able to speak the dialect of christianity so i can communicate effectively with my family and so that i can you know it's a cultural it is a cultural thing and on top of that There's just the simple reality that I cannot rid myself of my heritage and my culture and my programming. It's your birth. birth. You know, I am programmed. You know, if we think of ourselves as as iPhones or as phones, you know, we we all have an operating system that is fundamental to our nature. Yeah. And my operating system that I was programmed with at a very young age is christianity and that dude and that just isn't going to change no matter how far away i may wander from uh orthodox christianity from 
traditional yes. Christianity, the truth is is that I will yes. always be post Christian, and what that means is that I will. I love post Christian. I, I I just started a production company called Post Post Christian Podcast. Oh, good. Yeah, fantastic. Well, and the the whole idea of post Christian being that we're entering into a place that is beyond the maybe beyond the reach of traditional Christianity, but still in a place that we can get to only by way of Christianity. Oh, so well said. Yeah, which means that we're still in that stream. We're still in that tradition of Christianity, still in that evolutionary species, you know, that species that is evolving, but Mm -hmm. we're not what we Mm -hmm. used to be. And that's we're not Judaism. We're not Judaism, and Christianity is not Judaism anymore. And we're not necessarily Christianity. Exactly, and that's yeah. that's where I am. But you know, I've just given up, and I think a lot of people are in this place of of having given up on this idea that we can revoke our birth entirely, that we can get rid of our traditions yes. and our. Right. Uh, operating system completely because whether we like it or not it's still there and so i think you know our generation our our uh and and this kind of deconstructionist movement that's going on right now it's a group of people john caputo peter rollins peter rollins science mike barry taylor michael gungor all of those guys you know all of those guys who are robo they are um it's this admitting, it is this acceptance of the fact that whether we like it or not, we're still Christian. No matter where we go, whether or, we like it or not, whether we like it or not our programming <laughs> is Christian and we might as well make the best of yes. that. We might as well work with that instead of try to we might deny as well it. embrace it as this birth. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, God, dude, that's beautiful. I love that. That's so good. Is that why you consider yourself a, an, an esoteric Christian is because of the multilingual aspect of your view with spirituality or why – what to you yeah, is esoteric so, Christian? So esoteric Christian is a term that I coined for myself uh, several years ago and basically it was – and it was still when I – was more seated within traditional Christianity, but traditional Christianity was slowly starting to make less sense, and the outward manifestations of it were making less sense. For example, Mm -hmm. liturgy and church, uh, congregational anything, the creeds, um, the external aspects of the faith, which I know many people see as, you know, some of the most vital aspects of the faith, but slowly those yeah. things were making less sense for me. They're man-made, though. They're, they yeah. are man. They are man-made, and and so I found that in order for my faith to survive, I had to retreat inward to an interior experience mm. that was in a yes. and a DIY kind of spirituality. Yes, and building your own. A, religion or practice. Exactly. And yes. a, a an esoteric – and so esoteric meaning strange, unique, interior, hidden. Another way to put it is occult. My faith became very occult, hidden, um, shrouded. And I'm very drawn to occultism in general and kind of that the, – the underlying philosophies of occultism. And I started to incorporate more of that into my faith. Uh, I would say – 
the book that launched me on this whole esoteric kick was when my partner gave me a book called Meditations on the Tarot. Meditations on the Tarot uh, being a book by a a great anonymous mystic uh, of the 20th century. And this book is an exploration of each major arcana, each major arcanum of the Tarot uh, through the lens of Christian mysticism. And the vision that this anonymous mystic lays out is one of rich interior faith, one of expansiveness. And, you know, as the external trappings of the church have made less sense to me and have fallen apart for me, in part because I have been yeah. so wounded by the church, Yes, I've had to retreat into that interior, interior faith that yeah. grabs things from Buddhism, that grabs things from Sufism, that grabs things from Hinduism, that grabs oh, things Sufism. from... I just, I just found out about that. I love it's Sufism. So it's amazing. It's so um that grabs things from astrophysics that grabs and so yes. on and so forth and kind of creates this, this unique interior experience. Yes. Uh, I came to call that esoteric Christianity only to discover okay. that esoteric Christianity is in fact a Christian tradition. Um, and it's very much along the lines of kind of what I'm describing. Right, right, right. That's awesome, man. So that's where the term esoteric Christian comes from. Uh, if I were to be, more clear in how I communicate my faith. You know, if I were to put a label to where my faith is now, yeah. it would be more like um, non-theistic Christianity or agnostic Christianity. I go by agnostic Christian. Yeah. I still love using the term esoteric because that kind of describes more these the spirit of where I am, which is this weird, yeah. what the fuck kind of place. Is there like a mystical aspect? There is, absolutely. And that's another reason why I call it esoteric, because despite my extreme skepticism, I'm still very much a, a mystic. I, um, I mean, I'm a yoga teacher, and my job is to kind of induct people into these incredible yeah. mystical experiences. And so, yeah. you know, I've had tactile hallucinations. I've had visions. I've had – I still speak in tongues. And that's that's do you I do you know that's one of those things that's hardwired into me neurologically and I don't yeah. think that I'll ever be able to get rid of it. Is it the same thing to you now that it was then? Uh, no, no, I did not have an understanding of these things as a neurological phenomena. Do you view uh, speaking in tongues the same way that conservative Christians do? No, no, I see no. it as this really incredible mechanism of the mind of the brain mm. where ba yeah that i can get on yeah, yeah you know and and if it's hard and here's the thing i think if it's hardwired into you there's no reason not to repurpose it and utilize it yes yes and and so you know it's this incredibly wonderful comforting experience you have these physical sensations of warmth and electricity yeah. passing through you uh it's a high it's an inc really incredible high and right. so now I feel the presence of God. I feel mm. that that heat, that electricity. The language centers of my brain start to shut down, and my right. and my tongue starts going, and that's uh -huh. speaking in tongues, and it's this really incredible experience of dying to the ego. You know, it's this really incredible experience of the higher brain kind of going a bit quiet, and 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 the language centers of the brain going a bit quiet, and yeah. And that's a really awesome experience regardless of 
regardless of what motivation yeah yeah exactly and so i used to believe that it was literally the person of the holy spirit falling upon me physically yes and transforming me and speaking through me in the tongues of like angels a heavenly language maybe in the in a heavenly language that's what i used to believe and here's the thing i believed it because that's what it feels like and mm, and a lot of well put yeah you know a lot of these incredible experiences and mystical practices that i still use yoga i'm a tarot reader uh i speak in tongues i do a lot of i do a lot of stuff that maybe a lot of skeptics would raise an eyebrow at but yeah. the thing is they all feel magical that we have deemed you know through history we have seen them as magical yeah. Because they are they ritual to you? They are ritual. Speaking in tongues, yeah. not so much. I don't. I that's more that's more spontaneous for me. Okay. Okay. Um, tarot is ritual for me. I read tarot every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, yoga is ritual. I practice yoga every night, and I teach twice a week. And so these they are very, for lack of a better term, spiritual for me. But I yeah. know that they feel magical. They, we right. we have believed that they are magical through history because they're just that powerful psychologically. Right. Yeah. To you, does tarot have a higher power that is communicating something to you? Or do you think, you know, maybe God or quote, unquote, you know, some sort of uh, an essence, a presence? or Or is it in how you read it? I'm asking if you reading tarot is you looking... To guidance from something, or what is it? So when I read Tarot, it's normally uh, looking for guidance from within myself and and less yes. okay. from a higher power. I don't necessarily believe that that God or the divine or any kind of spirits are speaking through the cards. Rather, okay. uh, Tarot is like a um, it's like a Rorschach test. And as right. you draw the cards yes. and you form a story, and, and every single card is really remarkable and has and is packed with meaning. Yes. And then as you draw the cards, you start to project your own stories, your own meanings, right. and it can help you kind of, especially if you ask a question beforehand, like, oh, mm. this, you know, this thing at work is really bothering me. What? What should I do? This thing at, this thing with a partner or with a friendship or. I'm having this creative problem or whatever it is. Yes. You can ask these questions and the cards are random. There's nothing guiding the yeah. cards, but that process okay. of okay. sitting down and and reflecting on the cards and it helps you kind of step back and step outside of yourself and look at things maybe a bit more objectively. It helps you. It's a form of processing, which I find very helpful. That is the best case for reading tarot. I've ever heard my life. And and if you are interested and if any listeners are interested, I actually have an episode on my show uh, on Sacred Tension where I demonstrate this, where I have someone who's never done Tarot ever before and I demonstrate how I read Tarot. And it was a, okay. it turned out to be pretty good. You know, peop, um, No, that sounds great. Yeah, it was it was yeah. fun. What episode number do you, do you know off the top of your head? Uh, or what is it called? It's called it's just it's, it. it's just called reading tarot. Okay, great, perfect. Um, what what initially got you into Eastern religions? You talk about being a yoga teacher. 
um, and you know, mystical, esoteric. Those you know, Eastern kind of goes hand in yeah, hand. Yeah, very Eastern religions kind of go hand in hand with that. Um, what initially got you into uh, Eastern influence, like Buddhism too? Oh yes, and I'm a I'm a I love Buddhism. So me too. My induction into the East was uh, through yoga, and this was about uh, seven years ago when I was a, a vocal performance major in college. And vocal performance is an incredibly brutal, stressful major. And I was already struggling with other stuff, with being in the closet, with uh, mental health yes. issues, and just lots of different yes. stuff going on. And Same. so I was really, really, really struggling and under enormous stress. And a therapist told me, well, why don't you say, why don't you try yoga? And so I went to a yoga okay. class at a gym. And uh-huh. that I remember that first class just being a revelation for me. That wow! That first class, I had never felt that at peace, that connected to myself. It was an absolute revelation for me, and wow! It grew from there. I think that yoga. Um, I I think that Buddhism and meditation. And yoga and a lot of these Eastern practices, Eastern religions have saved me more than Christianity has. When it comes to practical skills, when it comes to skills that have actually, yes. you know, gotten me through. Because here's yes. here's another important – Because Christianity is like theory. Exactly. And American pragmatic Buddhism is like practice. Exactly. Or philosophy. It's, it's philosophy and practice. And – you know, here's the here's another important thing about me is I live with a lot of mental illness and I'm very very prone to anxiety and depression right. and so I'm constantly same too, man. yeah same too. absolutely and so I'm I'm just constantly having to monitor that and when I went through my really enormous um, uh, depressive episode which lasted from fall of 2014 into the spring of 2015 it wasn't christianity that saved me it was buddhism and the practical skills of meditation and engagement with life that buddhism taught me very very practical skills that is what saved me and you know christianity i feel like is a fundamental operating system in a lot of ways you know it's a Mm -hmm. worldview but they are but especially here in the west uh, it's commonly, a, it's most often a worldview. It's most exactly. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I mean, mean here, we, we got to give ourselves a little bit of credit here. Here, <laughs> you know? here in the West, it is mostly here in the West, absolutely, an intellectual practice. And you know that isn't true. There, everywhere, there are a lot of really, you know, centering prayer is great. There are a lot of wonderful contemplative Christian practices. Yes, uh, but where when it really comes down to it. It was Buddhism that saved my life, and wow. so I, um, I'm ne- I'm invested in these Eastern traditions yes. because I see their practical value, and mm. they have enriched my life profoundly. And now I teach them uh, on a weekly basis to to other people. Yeah, that's cool. Have you ever uh, looked into Eastern Orthodox Christianity? I have. I've been a bit frightened of it. It's a, it's a, okay. and let me explain why. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it's a bit of a mixed bag. 
in part. Yeah, be- it is. It is. Um, I th- I find the theology and the spiritual practice absolutely sublime, and I think it's some of the most beautiful the practice the, yeah the practice yes. and the worldview the the theology uh especially concepts like theosis just absolutely gorgeous i find their concept of sin far healthier i find their concept mm-hmm. of sin uh, and the eucharist yes, yes. way healthier than here in the west i think that they yes. tend to have a healthier framing um I agree. What has kind of kept me from getting more into Eastern Orthodoxy is that they are also ferociously xenophobic and homophobic, (laughs) you know? Yes, they are. And so, you know, as a gay person— That's a problem. It is a problem. So (laughs) as a a gay person, I've found myself definitely drawn to the higher liturgy, definitely drawn to higher church traditions, um, and where I can flirt with the East— yeah. Uh without getting a lot of the toxicity. So right now I'm I'm uh an Episcopalian. Oh, are you? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you do define with the denomination. That's a good one to define with. Honestly. It's a it's a great one to settle with. You know, part yeah. of the reason why I'm and I'm not a an official member yet, but I'm planning on yeah. on uh becoming fully Episcopalian. And part of the reason is just everyone fucking hates the Episcopalians. It's like yeah. the Catholics, the Presbyterians, <laughs> the Methodists, I mean You're ev- so right. every the Anglicans, uh you know, <laughs> they all fucking hate the Episcopalians. They so think true. that we are just you know liberal liberal Sophia worshipers just... who are having orgies in a cornfield <laughs> un- under the full moon. And sacrificing goats. <laughs> Exactly. Hey, we can also speaking of sacrificing goats, we can also talk about the the fact that I am a member of the Satanic Temple too. Please, um, please do. It's not something that I talk about very much since it tends to freak people out. But since you know you're you, I think you're okay with it. Uh, Absolutely. So the Satanic Temple uh, is a non theistic religion, and. It is important to note that it is different from the Church of Satan, which was founded by Anton LaVey. And so uh, Anton LaVey wrote the Satanic Bible, not a very good book, honestly, and not a a lot of really outdated ideas. It's very Ayn Randian. Um, The Satanic Temple is a very new religious movement. It started just five years ago, and it's growing really quickly it's become like a religion for lgbt people and for women it's very feminist and they do a lot of political work uh, a lot of um they they do a lot of work about defending the line between religion and state and so they do these wonderful and hilarious things where you know if a conservative church puts up a monument to the 10 commandments on on government property they put up a gigantic statue of baphomet (laughs) right next to it you know (laughs) just to just to prove the point that if you say if you say that you're for religious liberty and then exclude the satanists then you aren't actually for religious liberty that's a good point is it a statement more than a i mean like the title the the satanic temple yeah is it to piss off christians no it it isn't Uh, it's actually very sincere you know a lot of people think that um satanism is a form of theater and that isn't always necessarily the case it it can be it can be but 
my experience within the Satanic Temple is that what they do is they find solidarity with the literary figure of Satan from the Miltonian tradition in Paradise Lost. This image of – because if you read Paradise Lost by John Milton, Satan – He's a good guy. Yeah, Satan is a much more sympathetic character. And so they see – and I also have to call – I have to – modify this i i i can't speak for the satanic temple i'm not a spokesperson for the temple but i will speak for myself i can speak for my own engagement with this form of satanism so first of all i am a non-theist which means that i believe from the get-go that these myths are metaphors to begin with when you don't believe in a literal personal god which i dearly hope for I hope for the presence of a personal God. I hope uh-huh. for the existence of the supernatural, but I have no evidence of it. And so these— Do you believe in the, in the, in the divine? I believe just... in forms of the divine, yes. I believe okay. in—I believe that the ground of being, ultimate reality— yes. I believe, Tilt, baby. Yeah, exactly. I believe that that is the divine. I believe I'm that that whatever motivates, whatever sustains and— created the universe that thing whatever it is that collection of of powers and fundamentals that is the divine i believe that consciousness is divine in a way yeah i believe that consciousness is this miraculous thing of the universe waking up and becoming aware of itself i think that is in a way divine so i do believe in the divine but i don't believe in the supernatural Okay, yeah, yes, I'm I'm on the same page, yeah. Yeah. I I think that miracles are life. Exactly, exactly, me too. And, you know, I hope for the supernatural. I I dearly hope. I'm, you know, to quote the X-Files, I want to believe. And (laughs) I will always be looking for evidence of the supernatural. Yeah. I don't think I will ever stop wanting that. I'm a seeker, but I don't. But if I'm honest, I have to say that science, that in terms of science, we just haven't gotten there. And I don't know if we ever will. But so that said, when you have that worldview, when you have a non-theistic worldview, non-theism mm-hmm. being the question of the existence of God is not the primary concern. It is not the primary question of your faith. Yeah. Um, Do you like Caputo? Caputo? Uh, who's that? John Caputo. I have not heard of this person. He he was Peter Rollins' mentor. Oh, well, I need to check this guy out because I know yeah. Peter Rollins. He's fucking amazing. Okay, I will. I'll check him out. He has this quote that says, God does not exist God insists. Yes. God is love. Yes, exactly. And this idea that the existence of God is uh, um, is to me a secondary question and is in fact – the search for God is, is in fact a form of suffering. And you'll never know, man. And you'll never know. You know, may, I think we – you know, maybe as human civilization advances, maybe we can get to a point where we can know. But – You think so? We, I don't know. I hope so. I'm, like what would that look like? I don't even know. But, you know, science is such a miracle and the human spirit is so extraordinary. I don't want to mm-hmm. say that we will never get to a point where we can't fathom something like that. I hope mm-hmm. we can. I don't know if we yes, can, but I, I yes. but I hope that we will be able to. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So when you know, with this worldview, these things are stories. 
these they are archetypal stories yes. and so i can look at i can look at the bible and then i can flip it i can reframe it and say oh you know what if the snake in eden was actually a benevolent figure and what if eden was this hegemonic oppressive place which represents a lack of free thought what if eden is a place that um that represents totalitarian religion what if that is what eden represents and we think it's heaven but then what happens when you get out of that little religious circle what happens when you step outside of your youth group or you step outside of your cult or you step out you realize that it was actually a hell and so what you think was Eden turns into hell where you were oppressed. And then guess what? The snake comes and the snake is this benevolent figure who through reason and compassion sees that Eve is hungry, that Eve could maybe have something a bit more. And he says, look at that tree over there is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, why don't you just try it? And therefore bringing about the awakening of mankind, the enlightenment of mankind. But guess what? Religious authority tends to hate enlightenment. And so this reframing of the myth is how modern-day Satanism engages with these stories. I see. So, in do you talk to Episcopalians about this? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. Do you really? And they're okay. How with, do they take it? Well, I'm, I don't talk to all of them about it, but they, uh, the the ones that I've talked to about it, are are cool with it because when they understand that the values of of the Satanic Temple are actually very much in line with the values of Christ, let me read you the seven tenets of the Satanic Please Temple. Do, yeah. So, you know, again, I can't speak as a spokesperson for the temple i can just speak for myself but here are the seven tenets these are the seven tenets that these are this is all you have to affirm in order to become a member of the temple okay this is all you have to do this is it if you can if you can sign off on each one of these then you're great uh, and by the way for people who are interested i'm having a series of leaders from the temple coming onto my show to discuss this kind of stuff and they will be able to discuss it in much greater depth okay the seven tenets one should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason okay the struggle sounds humanist a little bit it's very humanist the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions one's body is inviolable subject to one's own will alone the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego your own. Beliefs should conform to our best scientific understanding of the world. We should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit our beliefs. People are fallible. If we make a mistake, we should do our best to rectify it and resolve any harm that may have been caused. Every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. Wow. So do you think you're a Satanist now? I think you might have converted me. Well, fabulous. 
Welcome to the club. No, seriously. And I mean, that, I just don't like the, I'll be honest with you, man. I got baggage. Yeah, exactly. Like we name. all do. We all do. And, and that's also part of the point is if Satanism is about the outsider, if Satanism is about advocating for the lost, the broken, the demonized, through history, gays, black people, Jews, have all been demonized. Yeah. They have all been called children of Satan. Yeah. And so if we take seriously the the need to embrace and care for and uh enable the downtrodden and the outsider, well that means yeah. giving Satan himself a reexamination, a reevaluation, because guess what? All of these people groups have been demonized in his name. And so the yeah. uh, the owning of the name of Satan and taking on that stigma, owning that stigma is is uh for all uh, for me a an owning of my minority outsider status and the fact okay. that my people have been de- my people the gays yes. have been demonized as children of satan for generations right yeah the only thing i have a hang up on yeah is this whole upside down thing the I, I i am a deconstructionist i love deconstruction yes but that is intense as shit bro it is intense satan is the good guy it is intense you Does know that make god the bad guy uh, in the this, of being? in this telling, well, in he, this myth, uh, that that's the thing is it is a myth, um, and so in this telling of the myth, God is not the ground of being. In this myth, it is more of a morality play representing human relations. Okay, and so, so is this something you believe or something you enter, you entertain? Uh, this is something. It's a. It's something that I entertain as a form of role play it's simply another helpful way of viewing the world okay yeah atheism for lent okay yes and so i am a but here's the thing is the heart of it is still uh, the heart for me is still christianity like i said and so you know if i if i have to choose between the two i will return to Christianity. Uh, the here's the thing though. Uh I feel like I need these other expressions of spirituality and faith in order to make my Christian faith survive. And so I find that I'm a better Christian if mm. I'm able to play with these other uh not allowed or blasphemous yeah. things and i find that right. that makes me a better christian you know mm. also you know yeah. within satanism is the is the image of the baphomet let me show you the baphomet i have him right here uh he the goat head the you have the ch- this is the satanic temple baphomet you have the, i don't know if okay. you can see it very well um okay but the baphomet was uh drawn by uh, uh, an occultist named Eliphas Levy, and that was in the, I believe, the mid 1800s. 
And it's essentially the Western yin and yang. So you have the mudra, the fingers up, the fingers down, symbolizing as above, so below. The marriage of opposites. You have Uh male and female. In the traditional Uh Baphomet, you have the female breasts and the male phallus. In this one, you have the, the... the little children, the boy and the girl, the the bringing together of male and female. You have the the wings and you have the goat head, angelic and demonic. So it is about the reconciliation of opposites. It's about the reconciliation of those things opposed to one another. And it's powerful. It's a very powerful symbol. And yeah. then, of course, the inverted pentagram at the top right here. The inverted pentagram is not actually so much a symbol of evil as it is a mystical symbol of being first and foremost concerned with the material realm and with the well-being yeah. of mm. of material yeah. creatures here and now. I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally there. Yeah. And, and less so with the attainment of spiritual enlightenment or a spiritual afterlife. And so that symbol represents – very much what Satanism is about. Now, let's say if it if it's if it's helpful, think of this version of Satanism not in terms of the Bible and Christianity, but think of it in terms of these are different characters from Milton's mythology. Okay, so they may share the same name, but think of them as different characters and so then you can move fluidly you can and it's also very good for me mentally it is very healthy for me psychologically to be able to move fluidly between these different frames of meaning between these different narratives and it's hard it's hard but if you can move between this concept of in one frame of god being the ground of being as god Mm. being the divine forces that keep the universe um moving and sustaining it and then if you can move from that frame of meaning into another next door universe in which god represents the oppression of human institutions and you can and you are able to to move but that is very healthy psychologically in my opinion to be able to move between Mm -hmm. different frames of meaning i agree yeah John Kubita said, God's imagination is not limited to one religion. Exactly. Exactly. I love that one. And and so basically these two different religions that I'm in, Christianity and then the Satanic Temple, are different mythologies. Is that really a religion or is it philosophy? It's a religion. It is a religion. They consider themselves – Do you pray? Do you – is there music? uh, Their their religion is mostly – predicated on activism they're very quaker in that way you know it almost sounds like an activist group it is it is a religious activist group and they do consider themselves a religion okay um i can yeah and i consider it a religion i think it's important to consider it a religion because i think the future lies in non-theism i think the future lies in religious expression that is not predicated on whether or not god exists but on the principles and rights and traditions and mythologies of these christian or of these religious traditions yes and, it's not about what you believe it's about how that affects or 
how you treat others for whatever reason, whether you believe it or not. Exactly. And so what I think the Satanic Temple is doing very right is they are saying they're they're giving this this fantastic defense of non-theistic religion and they are saying basically you do not have to believe in God in order to be a religious person you can still have binding narratives and a binding community binding in a positive sense uh binding narratives binding community binding imagery that is deeply meaningful to you that gives your life a sense of value and meaning and religious identity and you can still have that religious identity even if you cannot believe in supernaturalism or superstition that's where we have to go because what has been going what's been happening so far is this draconian deal that the atheist world offers us where they offer us all the riches of science And they say, here are all the riches of science, of astrophysics, of biology, of evolutionary, uh, of, of the theory of evolution, so on and so forth. They offer us all the riches of science. But then they say, oh, but by the way, in order to receive it, you must reject religion altogether. Right. And that yeah. is a problem yes. because, yes. you know, of course, certain individuals and communities can thrive without religion, but humanity as a whole, I'm just not. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll ever get to a utopia where people can make that choice easily. And so we are in a place where there's going to have to be a compromise between religion and science. Religion is going to have to let go of some of its supernaturalism. The scientific community is going to have to let go of its prejudice against religion. We're going to have to have a non-theistic religion so that people can retain those guiding myths and still be able to think skeptically. So is the main thrust, the main difference between non-theism and atheism that atheists care? There's not a God and they're out to prove it? Um, I think that the main difference is that for non-theism, non-theists see the categories of atheism and theism as too limiting. And so to me, it is simply a matter of... I've gotten to the point where it is a matter of irrelevance to me. Okay. A lot of atheists claim that too, though. You know, a lot of popular, like, neo-atheists claim, I'm not an atheist, I just don't believe in God. Yes. I think that the, I think that non-theist, and you're absolutely right about that. And and so I don't, you know, I always want to be careful with what I say because I don't want to, to sound like I'm maligning atheists. Yeah, because I'm not. Labels are a bitch. Labels are a bitch, but non-theism is it, it imply to me it implies a form of spirituality and religion, which atheism generally tends to lack, but it lacks yes. the concern with God that religion normally possesses here in the West. Now, the the idea though is that this is actually very. Um, this is this isn't new, you know. This is not a new concept. Uh, Confucianism is a non-theistic religion. Yes, some would argue it's not a religion, but yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I you know, certain certain traditions of Buddhism are non-theistic, and so this is a very mm-hmm. ancient idea. They're they're non-theistic Quakers. Um, really, I, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Why they're do they non-theistic Quake, Quakers. Then, if they're non-theistic. 
I thought quaking was like a Holy Spirit moves you to, to quake the, sort of thing. That's the origins of of Quakerism, but I Quakerism see. has has evolved into into different branches, different traditions. So, to me, I I, I also see theism and non theism and atheism being very concerned with the boundaries between the two, mm-hmm. and I am just. Mm-hmm. Be- my goal in life is to erase that boundary. Wow. You know, my goal in life is to one of my many goals in life is to erase the boundary. And I think in the West we have this this um I keep saying in the West as if it's this monolithic whole, which it isn't, but in yeah. a lot of Western Christian culture, the question of God is the primary question. Everything. And the primary fear, I And think. the primary fear. However, to me, I have come to accept that whether or not I believe in God or not does not change the universe's fundamental nature in any way. Amen. And so whether or not there is a God, whether or not I believe in a God, it will not change the fundamental nature of the universe. What I believe about yes. the universe is not going to change yes. it. And and we almost seem to go about this debate as if mm. what we believe about the universe is going to somehow fundamentally change it. I mean, you hear you hear Christians say, if there is no God, then that means that the universe is void of meaning and desolate and blah de blah and so on and so forth. They don't really believe that though. They're not gonna go be serial killers exactly. just because they think well, God is a not well, real. And, and I'm like but they say that. They say it, but but I hear that and I'm like the universe is what it is and has been forever. What you yeah. believe about it is not going to suddenly make it desolate and empty. Yes. <laughs> what you believe about it is not going to change it one bit. And right. so I see a lot of concern about whether or not God exists, whereas I find a spiritual agnosticism or a religious agnosticism, which I like to call non-theism, in which I find the boundary that boundary between theism and non-theism is useless for me. The question of God is secondary to me, mm. and yeah, and and that's and that's really where I am now. I have to say all this with with the uh, caveat that I think I'm hardwired to believe in God, and right. I think that it the, the operating system yeah the operating system has hardwired me to believe in a personal spiritual you know supernatural God and. And the death of that God is very hard for me, and it's very – and it's been a struggle. Yeah. And I hope – I dearly hope for an afterlife, for the existence of the supernatural, for the existence of God. You know, there's this passage in Hebrews in which the the author of Hebrews defines faith as the essence of things hoped for. It's like I can – Yes. I can get behind – The spirit of things – Yeah, the essence of things seen? hoped for. Not seen? Yeah, the uh, essence of things not seen. I was seen. in Awana. They teach you Bible verses and they they give you they give you rewards for learning. Oh, Bible good! Verses. So you were indoctrinated at a young age. Very good. I was very yes. Um, so I can get behind that definition of faith. Yes, of the the mm. essence of things hoped for. Well, I hope for the afterlife. I hope. Yeah. Without hope, without doubt, faith cannot exist. It's it's exactly. An, it's a non-existent thing. You know, if something's right there in front of you physically, tangibly, 
you experience it through all your senses, there is no faith. There's no reason for faith. You know what I mean? Like, there has to be doubt in order for faith to exist, I think. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So... That, I feel like, is a pretty succinct summary of where I'm at, and it confuses and upsets a lot of people. Yes. You know, but my job and my goal and what I hope to impart to other people through my podcast, through my writing, and through my friendship with people is to encourage uh, integrity, intellectual honesty, and mm, to honest, yeah. you know to encourage people to be radically honest about their questions and their doubts and it may yes. lead people to an absolute terrifying place like where i am now where you are a, a buddhist satanic christian um who who loves who who has a massive love affair with jesus and yes. It may lead them to that weird place, but here's the thing is it's better to be honest and it's better to be a truth teller and be in an uncomfortable place than to have never told the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and half the time you're lying to yourself, I think, when you're not telling the truth. Oh, absolutely. Well, here's the – here's what I have – had to admit about myself. So I'm 29 now. I've spent basically the past nine years – um lying to myself about my faith and it wasn't until about two years ago when i finally started to do the very very hard work of deconstruction and i mean and i'd always been a deconstructionist but i mean the fundamental stuff i mean is there a is there a god or not and uh, how do I know? I mean the the fundamental scary stuff. Yeah. The realization that my uh, – From the ground up. Yeah, the, from, from the ground up. And the realization that my theology is this in, internally consistent castle built on the incredibly impractical and inconsistent cloud. And that the, theologically it is internally consistent, but the foundation of that theology, God – the uh, the authority of scripture, all of that was based on highly insubstantial ground. It was built on a cloud, and it was the cloud itself that I started to question. Wow, that's well put, man. That's well put. It looks sturdy. It looks sturdy. And then you step on it, and you're going to fall. Exactly, your death. exactly. And so now I'm in this very weird post deconstructed place. I don't know if reconstruction is ever really an option for me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. I don't, I don't know if reconstruction. But maybe it kind of sounds like that's what you're doing right now. Well, if it's the satanic Buddhist. <laughs> with this, yes. Well, you know, I, I'm definitely rebuilding into something that is working for me personally. I don't know, but if by reconstruction we mean finding a faith even remotely similar to the one that I had, that's gone. That's dead. that's the definition, yes, I agree. It's gone forever, you know? Um, The faith I had, I really think it's gone forever. Yes. I'm never going to be a Calvinist again in my life. Oh, you were a Calvinist? Sort of. I was a Calvinist. Southern Baptist, baby. Okay. 
It was very highly encouraged. I was not told the whole story. All I was told was Calvinism's predestination, Arminianism, is uh, free will. And I said, "Oh, predestination." So then I thought I was a Calvinist. I didn't know the whole t- tulip thing. Yes. Yeah. No, I was raised very Calvinist, and you know, plus charismaticism, and you know, that fucks with you pretty hard, dude. That's hardcore. <laughs> it that's is. Hardcore. It is. Is it? You know, I want to look at people and be like, "Well, is it any wonder that I turned out as a weird, queer, satanic?" buddhist christian (laughs) i have a lot to cope with yeah for sure um well unfortunately i think i need to get going here pretty soon i need to get yeah dude can we play like a really really fast game oh yeah totally it's super totally let's do it super fast and it's really silly okay i like to end the podcast on a little you know uh upbeat uh vibe so the segment is the title's kind of misleading. It's called TMI. Okay, the, I'm I'm already great at this game. Okay, <laughs> great. It's not what okay. you think it is, though. Okay. Um, what is your favorite pizza chain? Oh, oh God, uh, Pizza Hut. What's your favorite go-to topping? Favorite go-to topping, um, olives. If you had to give pizza. Hand-delivered to your worst enemy, what would the toppings be on that pizza as, like, a revenge, like, sort of, as a, a, revenge, you know, As a revenge pizza? If I, if I gave a pizza to my ex? A revenge pizza. Okay. I, I think my revenge pizza would be uh, pineapple, uh, banana peppers. Oof. Um, Bad start. Uh, anchovies. Yes. And really, really terrible greasy sausage. Like, like not good sausage, but that, like, uh. disgusting, crumbly, chewy, greasy sausage. Oh, the crumbly. You know what I'm saying? With all the little fat with a, bits With the little in fat it. bits mm. in it. And, yeah, that that's, I think, my revenge pizza. That's great. That is a great answer. <laughs> red or white, red or white sauce base? Uh, Red. To take a bath in daily. Oh Jesus! Um, well, f- I would I would have to go with red because of the the vinegar and acid, and that would be a bit. Oh, yeah, there that you would go. Be, hey, yeah. smart thinking. I'm a good boy scout. I I think ahead. You think ahead. You're always prepared. Uh, leftover slices, cold or hot? Cold all the way. Same all the way, all the way. Even if there's a toaster around. Even especially. Yes. All the way. Cold. <laughs> uh, what pizza best keeps overnight? Anything, anything from like fast food, fast food pizza, like Pizza Hut. Any, any, any chain. If it's, yeah. if it's a non-chain, it doesn't keep as well, and it won't be as good. It won't be as good cold. If it, it has to be from a chain in order to be better cold the next day. In my yeah, opinion, it gets greasy and wet. Exactly, and and yeah. limp, and it's just not okay. And so, yeah, if I it's totally going agree. to be eaten the next day, it has to be from a from a chain. I feel. I feel. Would you eat a twenty four hour unrefrigerated pizza? Twenty four hour unrefrigerated pizza. It depends on well. So. I I run a salvage food store and yeah. I I live off of expired food and so yeah. maybe it depends. 
Yeah, what's on it? It depends on what's on it, definitely. Uh, It depends on what the sauce base is. So, it depends. Okay, depends. Uh, What is your least favorite chain? My least favorite chain... There's one chain that I just find absolutely disgusting. Is it Papa John's? No. Papa John's as a person sucks, but yeah, I th- Papa I do John's like his pizza. Papa John's as a person is is a monster. Pizza Hut is Miley's favorite. Yeah, Pizza Hut is is pretty awful. Honestly, I don't know because little like Caesar. I I live in a little I live in a tiny Appalachian town and we just have Pizza Hut here. We we live okay. we live in a pizza desert. And so I see, I see. Yeah, which is why I said Pizza Hut is my favorite because yeah. It's uh it's the only one available. It's the only one available, yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Um how often do you eat pizza? I eat pizza about once or twice a month. Why not more? Uh, because I need to maintain my girlish figure. Why not less? Uh, because <laughs> I love it too much. <laughs> uh, if you had a pizza chihuahua as a pet, what would you name it? Uh, well, the first problem is chihuahua. Of course it is. <laughs> I Okay. Uh, I would name it anchovy. Okay. Would you eat it? Yes. Okay. Because I hate chihuahuas. I, I want to eat normal <laughs> chihuahuas anyway. I, I You want to eat normal chihuahuas? Yes. Well I whenever I see them I, I'm like, you know, you just want to put like put a stick through them and put it over a fire and roast it. Oh my god. I would say a racist Korean joke right now, but I won't. <laughs> Good job. Well done. <laughs> By saying that, I said a racist Korean yes, joke. Yes, you did. Anyway, yes, go did. on. Anyway, uh, Okay, last one. If you had a pizza husky, what would you name it? Oh, huskies are better. I I appreciate huskies. Um, I love huskies. They're majestic. I would I would name him Alfredo. Would you eat him? I don't think I would actually. I mean, it depends. It depends. Is since he is made of pizza, will he gradually rot over time? No. Okay. It's like then, a fur coat. Okay. Then maybe not. Okay, that's fair. Yep. Yeah. Or okay, okay, I there are more stipulations. Would <laughs> <laughs> is it something that I could like is it like an angora bunny where you can just keep getting the fur off of it and use that fur like can I keep getting the Good pizza toppings question. off of him no, and he keeps you growing have to kill it? it? I okay, yeah. then no. I would I would I yeah. would let the the husky live. Good deal. Awesome. Would you keep a close eye on him that you're afraid that people are going to like pick off pepperonis off of him? Or Absolutely. Like oh my God. If I had a pizza dog, I would, it would, it would be my cherished possession. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. Cool. Thank you for playing. TMI. It's my pleasure. What does TMI stand for? Too much information. I mean, I, I figured I wasn't, I knew that. I didn't know if it, if it stood up for something else pizza related in this context. No, no, no. Okay. It's just random ass questions. Awesome. Very good. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Well, thank you so fucking much for doing this. Yeah, it's my pleasure. This has been awesome. I love this conversation. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Cool. All right. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, you too, man. Bye. Bye. There we have it. That was Stephen Long. That was... 
such a diverse and great conversation. It opened my mind uh, to many new ways of thinking about religion, about Christianity, about post-Christianity, about open-mindedness, about duality, paradox. Uh, Stephen is my new best friend. He's not aware of this, and it may not be a mutual thing. It's it's not. Let's be honest. It's, I'm sure it's not. But I love this dude. And so, sorry, Stephen. You're my new best friend. Be sure to check out the Sacred Tension podcast. Go to sbradfordlong.com. I feel like such a dickhole for not plugging him at the end there. I was so excited and so on a tangent and on a roll that I forgot to ask him for his plugs, although he did mention his podcast a couple of times throughout the interview. But um, I, I just feel like I have to give an extra plug to him and to all of his uh, social media. You can find him online on Twitter. You can find him on Facebook. Of course, on his website and his podcast. While I'm at plugging, I of course have to plug revolutionchurch.com. I have to plug my brand new podcasts. I have to say I'm in the preliminary stages of starting a new production company called Post-Christian Podcasting, under which Air of Grievances is the umbrella, Um, also the Sacred Collective, which you can find links to on my Facebook page. I do uh, links on my Air of Grievances page, as well as a new page which I've made, which is called Post-Christian Podcasting. And it includes Air of Grievances, Sacred Collective, Revolution Afterglow, Wally Olson Stories, and um, a somewhat short-lived, maybe in the future, resurrectable podcast by myself and my brother Nate, which was actually the precursor to Air of Grievances. And we are now hosted by Pippa instead of SoundCloud, although you still can find a limited number of episodes on SoundCloud.com. You can go to iTunes. Please go to iTunes. uh, Honestly, for my ratings and everything, um, I, I endorse iTunes very strongly. Also, be on the lookout for my interview with Drunk X Pastors. Jason and Christian have been so accommodating, bending over backwards, to get this interview to actually happen. And they're just so accommodating. I love these dudes. In my world, they're celebrities, but they're being just so generous to me, to this no-name podcaster. And I love those dudes with all my heart. Like I said, it's up there in my favorite podcasts, if not my top one or two. It's probably my favorite podcast. Please, please feel uninhibited to leave me a voicemail at 612-460-0364 or 612-HO-00-DOG. Why? Just because it happened to line up with the numbers that I'd already signed up for for my voicemail. 
I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I'm a slacker at times, and I couldn't figure out how to get a customized uh, voicemail on Google Voice. So, anyhow, please, I know there's plenty of you that disagree with me. And maybe a few of you that do agree with me. But please leave me a voicemail. Vocalize your thoughts. Respond to me. Give me new topics to think about. Give me new material. Give me things that are on your heart that you think that I should react to or that maybe you just want to get out there. So please leave me a voicemail. 612-460-0364. 612-HO. Double O Dog. I also have to say, of course, go to airofgrievances.com. Go to my Facebook page. I now have a group for discussion on Air of Grievances. You can go to my patreon.com slash airofgrievances. And um, we're working on getting onto Stitcher, which is a great step forward because that means potential advertising. Maybe we can monetize off this thing. This is my passion and I've become more and more convinced that your career should be your passion. And post-Christian podcasting I think is the first step towards that. And um, I guess I don't really have much else to plug. I love you Steven. Can't say it enough. And uh, I love you guys. I love you, my listeners. So thank you. Tune in next week. We'll have another interview for you. And I love you. I love you. You may not love me, but I love you. Goodbye. Goodbye.